Bankside Arts Collective proudly presents the Bankside Repertory Theater production of Jeff Calloway's A Dickens of a Tale. This audio performance is an adaptation of the play, which was originally performed at the Jacoby Arts Center in Alton, Illinois, in 2015. If you like what you hear, we'd be very grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review us so that others can find their way to the work. We also encourage you to subscribe. Bankside Arts Collective will be producing more audio drama, as well as a variety of additional programs related to the visual and performing arts. Links to our website and other bonus information can be found in the show notes. But for now, grab a spot of tea, a warm blanket by the fire, sit back, relax, and enjoy a Dickens of a Tale. Our memorial service for Ebenezer Scrooge continues in the public salon of Burnham and Barry Limited, Undertakers. just about the saddest thing I've ever heard. I never knew that. What a pity. Oh, dear, Mr. Scrooge. Dear, dear, dear. My old gran was fond of saying, well, you know, you can't take it with you. It was easy for her and us. We never had much in the first place. You come from nothing, you go on with nothing. And that's exactly what I've learned from working for Mr. Scrooge. All that money he had, all the privileges he might want, and what good is it doing him now? He traded a fine townhouse for an oaken casket, and nearly nothing from his life went into it with him when he died. But, to his credit, he learned the truth of it ten years ago on that miraculous Christmas day. One day, he's a miserable old miser, eating cold soup and porridge in a dark, drafty house. And the next, he's as happy as Larry throwing money and favors round like King Midas on a spending holiday. Here I'd worked for him for, Lord, it seems like forever, and was never convinced that he even knew my name half the time. It was, hear you, or hey. One might have thought my name was hey you, the way he used to carry on. I don't know why I bothered, except that he did pay wages on time and was no more abusive than most employers. Better than a few, I expect. But the change in him that Christmas morning ten years ago was something to behold it was. I had the day off, without pay, of course, because I'd asked for it to be home to cook for me ma'am and the rest of the family. I didn't think of him that blessed day, so thankful I was to be in a place of warmth and cheer and love. Oh, we had such a lovely time and went to bed late because we didn't want to see the end of Christmas Day. Boxing day, of course, I had to be back on the job. Though how much of a mess one man could make in his own house when he didn't even celebrate the holiday made me wonder why he didn't just let me stay home then as well. But, as I'd had no word to the contrary, I rushed to get to Mr. Scrooge's house so as not to be too late. 
him being a stickler for punctuality and all. Up I come, only to find the servant's entrance locked and bolted. Oh, dear, I says to myself, this can't be good. So I run round to the front, knowing that it would cause even more of a stir. Late to work, coming in the front door, only to find it locked up tight as well. No candles burning inside, no sign of life. Oh, I think he's fallen off of his perch and no one can get in to see him. It was a desperate situation, let me tell you. I was so frightened for Mr. Scrooge's well-being that I strolled up the street to the cafe and had a nice quiet pot of tea with scone and strawberry jam. <laughs> I kept looking down the street every once in a while to monitor the progress, expecting any moment for the coroner and the meat wagon to show up and sort out the carcass of Master Ebenezer the Skinflint. I was on such pins and needles that I got up, stretched, and ordered another pot of tea and scones. A manic concern for my employer animated my whole being as I chatted amiably with a lorry driver who was soon off to Southampton with a load of throw rugs. Uh, sorry, love, did I drip any of my sarcasm on you there? Hard to control sometimes, especially when reminiscing about Mr. Scrooge and the way he used to be. But let me tell you what happened, what I still can't reckon now, ten years after the event— I'm sitting in the cafe, about to go home for a nice, well-earned lie-down, when I see Mr. Scrooge and some of the other well-to-do folk coming up to his door and go inside, as merry as a circus troupe. What's all this, then, I wondered. I'd better get down there, spit-spot, and have a look. Well, I come up to the front door, which is still standing wide open, mind you, and take a peek inside to see Mr. Scrooge in the middle of the parlor being the life of the party, that had obviously started the day before and was carrying on through Boxing Day. His nephew, Mr. Fred, was there with his wife, some others who might have been relations for all I knew, and a couple of tradesmen following behind, apparently taking orders for goods to be delivered. I, I thought I was dreaming. Pinch me, I thought. The dear buzzard has gone off his trolley. And that was when he noticed me standing in the doorway. Mrs. Dilber, he shouts, making me jump. Come in here at once and close the door behind you. Oh, dear, I think to myself, I'm in for it now. Late, lurking at the front door, and no excuse that could be considered reasonable, except for being locked out. I just hoped that he wouldn't shame me too badly in front of his friends and relations. Yes, sir, I said, approaching. Yes, sir. Very good, Mr. Scrooge, sir. This woman, he bellows, and I thinks, right, now I'm in for it. Reprimands for everyone to hear. Hmm, I wonder if they need any housekeepers down in Chelsea. This woman, he repeats, has been in my employ for, well, it seems like forever. And now she's sacked and out in the streets, I'm hearing him say in my head. And I have been the most miserable, parsimonious, unforgiving, and uncompassionate employer since Caligula. Well, I don't know what parsimonious means, though he probably deserved it. And Caligula could be the chief jailer in the Tower of London, for all I knew. But it was starting to sound so un-Mr. Scrooge-like that I, I waited breathlessly, with my mouth hanging open for the rest of it. That's all in the past now, my good woman, he says. Tomorrow, I want you to fill this house with food and drink, because I plan to feast my friends and family from now to the Feast of the Epiphany. I was in shock. He saw it, too. Well, I'm perfectly serious, madam, he says. 
before for too long, I've kept this household in darkness to save on coal and candles. I've treated you far below your worth, considering what you do for me every week. And I have been given the chance by heaven to set that right. So, then he starts rattling off all the changes he planned to make and set about writing up a grocery list and other orders for the tradesmen. We all walked round his house, taking note of things that needed to go and things that needed to come in, and, well, it quite took my breath away. But the greatest shock was still yet to come from him. He says, And with the change to this household, a new house of light and merriment, I shall need extra staff, beginning with your sister, if she would be so kind as to take up the appointment. Now here's the thing. I'd been asking him for months to take my sister on as a cook and dishwasher after her husband had passed on suddenly. She was not able to keep body and soul together with what he'd left her. I thought my words were falling on deaf ears, as he rarely made me the courtesy of a response. But now? You, my dear, he says, have suffered enough and shall no longer do so at my hands. He says this, pulling out a fat purse of coins from his frock coat pocket. I will also ask you to take yourself off as soon as conveniently possible. Here it comes, I thought. A quick payoff and a swift boot to unemployment. To the dressmakers, he says. Lady Colette's in the Strand. To buy a new Christmas gown for you and for your sweet sister. We will ring in the new year in our finery and talk at length about what we shall do to make this house a home of love and charity. Consider that purse a down payment on wages that I have owed you for many years, and a small token of kindness that must, unfortunately, be paid up in arrears. And with that, he wrapped me in his arms, hugged me tight, and kissed me square in the forehead. I fainted. I confess it. It was too much. When I woke, I was on the couch with Mr. Fred standing over me with a cool cloth, dabbing my forehead. Scrooge was dancing a lunatic jig in the parlor, and Mrs. Fred was bringing me a cup of tea. I cried, looked at Mr. Scrooge, who smiled at me, then cried some more, and couldn't stop crying for most of the rest of the day. <laughs> of course, I did no work that boxing day. I was one of the party, which eventually left the house and moved on through London to the homes and businesses of Mr. Scrooge's acquaintances, like, well, like a mad circus that brought cheer and astonishment everywhere it went. At the end of it all, when we were God knows where and thoroughly soused to the gills, someone said, A toast, a toast to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge, philanthropist, good fellow, and former miser. May he live forever in our hearts, and God bless now and hereafter. That was met by a mighty and enthusiastic hear, hear by all, even me who hours earlier had been cursing his mean, dark soul. It just goes to show that, really, you can't take it with you, so why bother? Doesn't the good book say that we are known by our fruits? And it doesn't matter how late you come to the party. You can always help with the harvest of love and good deeds and, what else, maybe redemption, I suppose? So rest in peace, Mr. Scrooge. I never loved you much until that day. Not because you gave me gifts or helped my family or turned into a pleasant chap. No, what mattered to me most 
is that after all those years, I realized you valued my service. And you did, in fact, know my name. Who is? Oh, oh, I'm so glad he could make it. Someone of his famous stature, you know. It's hard to get away. Carrie, Carrie! We're going to need something put together for him. Post haste, come on! Hello, hello. Nice to see you. How's you been? All right, eh? Good. <laughs> Good. Ah, thank you for coming. Would have done Uncle proud to see all the folk who turned out for the funeral and said such nice words and such. Hey, can y'all hear me in the back? Yeah? Good. Good, good. And, um, uh, <laughs> well, I hope Uncle Scrooge will forgive the suit. I, uh, well, normally I have to have my suits tailored as the ready-mades don't quite do the job, you know, too small. And I have one at my tailor's right now, but the gent said it wouldn't be ready till tomorrow. Fair lot of good it does now, right? Well, not to worry, I says. I have an old suit that might serve. See, when I heard Mr. Scrooge had died, I hopped the next train for London and didn't even take an overnight case. You figured I'd have enough in the London flat, right? My manager says, Here now, hang on a minute. We've got bookings lined up. You can't just pop off to London for a week in the middle of a tour. What will I tell the promoters? Tell him I'm recovering from a minor injury, I says. What minor injury, he says. You, I says. <laughs> me? What about me, he says. You're a pain in the ass, I says. Excuse the French and apologies to the kids in the audience. Who should be in bed, by the way, at this time of night, now? Okay, just don't tell your mums. We'll make up the dates when I get back, I says. So I suppose I should pick up that suit and then perhaps pick up some more clothes before I head back to York. I could miss the funeral, though. I was glad that folks were kind enough not to laugh. At me, not at Uncle Scrooge. No one was laughing at him. You know, I think folks were genuinely sorry that he passed, which is interesting when you consider how he was for so many years. I know he did me dad a great kindness. Hey, Mum. Hey, Dad. Well, as for me, well, I was pretty nigh a goner years ago, but with a bum leg and always feeling like I never got enough to eat. I knew it was rough on me parents, though, so I always tried to be chipper and not add to the burden. It was better anyway to be like that. You know, if you focus on the good, the bad doesn't seem to be so horrible. And horrible it was when I was young, but Mum and Dad kept the aura from the household as best they could. Still, you couldn't hide from it once you walked out the door, all pervasive it was. As a weak and sickly child, I suppose I felt it more than most people. So I'd tend to daydream, to escape from the oppressive air, misery, what have you. Daydreaming came easy to me, <laughs> especially when I was hungry. I would daydream that I was a knight of King Arthur's Round Table, rescuing maidens and helping the poor. Or a great inventor who thinks up useful machines to help society. But mostly, I dreamt of being a champion prize fighter. Uh, you're laughing. Why? Why wouldn't a kid 
nicknamed Tiny Tim, want to grow up to be a famous prize fighter. The spoiler. Chronic cough, dodgy leg in an undernourished frame. A kid can dream, can't he? And such a kid as that might conceivably dream of being a powerful champion, a writer of wrongs. And attractive to the ladies, am I right? I'm right, aren't I? You know, I'm still single if you're interested. Never underestimate the power of an optimistic outlook. That's the lesson I learned from my father. See things as they should be, not always as what they look like on the surface. I love me dad and me mum. When I told them about my dream, they didn't laugh, they didn't scold. They smiled at me and said they hoped that since my body wasn't working so well for me that maybe I'd be happy using my mind to help people. You know, right the wrongs, and help the poor and such. So I set about to arrange my mind to become a famous inventor. But one Christmas, about ten years ago, a miracle happened. Dad's boss, a dire old bedger, suddenly decides he's going to become a personal benefactor. And he starts sending over a huge turkey dinner without so much as a buy your leave. Oh, heaven above, I ate for England. I mean, I was stuffing it down. There was so much none of us had to stint to make sure everyone got some. It was lovely. Then... We find out the next day that it came from Mr. Scrooge, who appears at our house and is happier than a peg digging up truffles. He says he's raised me dad's pay and he's going to help us with our living situation. And I guess it still draws a tear to me eye. He says he's going to find a surgeon to sort out me leg in dodgy elf. And we're not to pay a penny of it neither. He wants to be an uncle to us, he says. He's sorry he hasn't come by earlier, but he's here now, and we'll make up for the lost time. What are the chances, right? We all swarmed him and started to call him uncle right away. Mum made a face, but she eventually got around to it. She was convinced he was sincere, not balmy on Christmas drink. I don't know if Uncle Scrooge had second thoughts when he started seeing the grocer's bills, but if he was shocked, he never said a word. Always had a little presence for us when he came to the house, which ended up being about once a week for supper. And he did become like a favourite uncle to us. And I did grow up to become a famous prize fighter, as you all know, but I bet you didn't know it was because of Ebenezer Scrooge, now did you? Now once my leg was put to rights, I started training in earnest. Everybody but me thought it was a lark. That sooner or later I would get back to my studies and get around to something useful. Sport is useful, eh? I mean, don't all of us go in for it? Or if uh, we're not playing, we're watching it, right? Knocking people down became the means to lift me up. And sure, I took some hits early in my career, but being now amongst the top in my profession, perhaps I'll slow down a bit think about what's next. I was always a good reader and quick with my studies. Sport was something I had to do, you know, just had to do. You have to be willing to adapt, to change. Dare I say, repent, without sounding like a vicar. I mean, you know what I mean, repent, rethink, be responsive to what is happening now instead of fantasizing about the future without taking care of the present. It's what every champion has to do. You stick to the old habits, patterns, 
thinking and you get punched in the face by life. You stay in one place, you make an easy target, but you keep moving forward, rolling with the punches and dodging the temptations, the sucker traps, and you stand a chance of winning. Look, if I didn't adapt and improve, I'd have been laid out time and again by Martin Chuzzlewit's left hook, the boozy oaf. He'd take me out with that. Or Jerry Cruncher, that bear-hugging wrestling type. They say he also moonlights as a body snatcher. You can't let him get a hold of you. Speaking of which, my two craftiest opponents are Little Dorrit and the famous Fleetfoot Fagin. Try to get a hold of them sometime in the ring, why don't you? Can't grab them worth a trying. That's the way you take on life, I say. A flow like a river headed to the sea. Always moving forward, always finding a harmonious way. Sometimes you have to go out of your way to avoid the rocks. Sometimes you go right over the obstacles. and Sometimes you have to take a few falls. But always, you know you're headed on to join something greater than yourself. That's what watching Uncle Scrooge taught me. Once you find a way, you know that moving towards the greater good is the only path. Enjoy the journey. Help folks along the way. Give them a cup of cold water in charity's name and never regret the gesture. That's what I've been taught. Look, this is just me, but I know there's a higher mind that hears our cries at night who speaks to us quietly saying, flow to the left and flow to the right. You should listen to that voice always and forever. Don't wait until the last minute like Uncle Scrooge. If you call that little voice God, well, good on you, mate. But if not, whatever you call it, cherish it. Listen to it when it whispers, or you'll never be able to throw off your crutches and fight for the cause, whatever that is. Now, this is just me, so don't take offense. But Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. And, wait for it, God bless us, everyone. The Ghost of Jacob Marley was played by John O'Hagan. Fred was played by Caleb King. Belle was played by Sue Ellen Coftree. Mrs. Dilber was played by Chrissy Calkins Steele. Arthur Dodger, a.k.a. Turkey Boy, was played by Matthew Cox. Tiny Tim was played by Jack Dearborn. Mrs. Fezziwig was played by Jeff Calloway. Mrs. Cratchit was played by Trish Brown. Mr. Burnham was played by Andrew Martin. Incidental music and other melodies were supplied by maestro Matthew Cox. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Dickens of a Tale by Jeff Calloway, performed by Bankside Repertory Theatre. If you liked what you heard, we'd be very grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review us so that others can find their way to the work. We also encourage you to subscribe. We'll be producing more audio drama as well as a variety of additional programs related to the visual and performing arts. 
Links to our website and other bonus information can be found in the show notes. From all of us at Bankside Arts Collective, a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and yours.